Shri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai Shri Gaur Pani Mahamotsava Ki Jai Vod Premanande So morning everyone Faring in the rain. It's a mustary this year. This morning we are going to discuss a little bit from Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Most important in many respects book of the Gaudias. And then this evening, we'll get together again and we'll take questions. Chaitanya Charitamrita begins with uh, uh, in a, a preface, like most books. Uh, it's a sacred book, so it's a sacred preface. And uh, it's, answer, it's called Mangala Charana. Mangala Charana. So Mangala means auspicious. <clears throat> auspicious invocation. And There are 14 verses in the Mangala Charan, and then they're explained in some depth in uh, succeeding chapters leading up to the explanation of, the, of, of why the book, how the history of the book's being written, and then an introduction of the primary players in a narrative of the Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that the balance of the book takes up. Introduction of the players over a number of chapters, associates of Nityananda, Vadvaita, Garadhar, and uh, Srivas, and so forth. <clears throat> and the birth of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and then, as I say, the whole Leela unfolds, and in the context of the narrative of the Leela, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so much philosophy and theology is brought out. So, and all of that is very faithful to the predecessors of Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, Sri Rup Sanatana Goswami, Jiva Goswami, who I mentioned yesterday, are the Shastra Gurus of uh, Gaudiya Sampradaya, and since we have to include Krishnadas. Kaviraj Goswami in that as well for his contribution in the form of Chaitanya Charitamrita and his famous book Gubandalilamrita. He also wrote a commentary on on um, Lila Sukha's book Krishna Karnamrita of Bilbamanga Thakur also known as Lila Sukha. So Krishna's Kaviraj uh, he, he was very learned and um, he wrote uh, his 
Govinda Lilamrita, all describing the Lila, the Eightfold Lila, Daily Lila of Krishna in Sanskrit. So he's very learned and scholarly. But he took the scholarly language of the Goswamis, the Sanskrit, which was like the universal religious language of the time, and um, all of their teachings that they put forward in Sanskrit and turned them into Bengali, which was a much more widely spoken language. Uh, so he was, in effect, giving the, t- the uh, teachings, which are the kind of the final word of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, theology and philosophy of the Goswamis, and putting it in the popular language to uh, make it more readily available, and also in, the, in his native language of Bengali, and thereby bringing the Goswamis' conception realization, insights as to the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu back home to Bengal where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu first appeared and of course was loved and appreciated from many different angles. People thought different things about him, who he is, what he is, and so on and so forth. He himself personally taught who he was, what he was about, and the far-reaching significance of it to Sanatana and uh, and they taught it to Jiva Goswami and so forth. And so here is Krishna's Kaviraj bringing it all back home to Bengal as well as making it more widely accessible um, exactly who Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is. So it's a very extraordinary book, very important book. It's an old book, of course, so you have to look at it in light of that. And some of the arguments that are put forward there are written for people of the times. In other words, how people were thinking at the time, their thoughts are addressed in Chaitanya Charjamrita, things that we may not be thinking about, issues that may not be for them, that were not issues for us, for example. So we have to look at it and in in light of that, make more sense out of it and see essentially what Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami is, is doing in um, in Chaitanya Charitamrita. And that, if we understand that, essentially, even though some of the arguments made may not be relevant to us, there may not be issues or doubts that we have, for example, um, the fact that he's trying to address doubts and clear them and that he has arguments for them is um, of interest to us and should be uh, compelling. And we should expect that... Um, that his arguments using what we call Shastra Yukti. Shastra Yukti is, is a kind of a reasoning based on revelation, where you take the revelation, the scripture, and then you reason about it. It's actually the best type of pramana because you have not only the scripture, which is the revealed sound uh, as it's thought, uh, but you have the insight of the sadhu in relation to it. So you have uh, a special, power, especially powerful pramana or form of um, evidence. <clears throat> and the Shakstriyukti should not be misunderstood as some kind of an intellectual exercise. Actually, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Rupa Goswami makes a strong point in this regard. Uh, he speaks about Shakstriyukti not in the beginning where he, he, he mentions it, as a qualification of one who's best suited 
to tread the path, that person has this kind of scriptural uh, genius and shastranipun, shastrayukte, scriptural uh, logic ability to reason about it and so forth. And later on in the text, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he makes the point that it is based on a taste, hmm? not just intellect, but taste and feeling for the text, that they're able to make out of it all that it, uh, or more than it, it appears to say to others and explain it in a compelling way and so forth. So this should be the standard of the times, following in the example of Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami. He's raised a lot of really compelling arguments based on the audience to whom he's, he's, he's writing. And as time goes on, then in the succession of teachers of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, this should be the standard. They should be able to do the same, to satisfy the, the minds and, uh, uh, of, 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 of the contemporary persons and remove their doubts and clear their path for taking advantage of the divine dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. So there's a nice verse that uh, we're going to discuss this morning, given that introduction. Uh, some of the arguments, as we'll see, are relevant to uh, a particular audience, not that they don't apply to us, they do to some extent as well, but particularly to an audience that's familiar with the sacred texts, who have interpreted certain, certain texts in a certain way. Hmm? If we study carefully this chapter, chapter 3, or 2, excuse me, in chapter 3, that follows that, we can see that he's speaking to a large extent to Sri Vaishnavas, another lineage of Vaishnavas. Indeed, he even invokes the um, um, some verses of the well-known Yamuna Charja, the disciple of Ramanujachar, the founder of Sri Vaishnavism, you know, almost says, like, here, your own people are saying this. So, um, this was uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita is one of the early attempts to establish Gaudiya Vaishnavism as a lineage. There were prominently uh, four Vaishnava lineages uh, at the time, the Sri Sampradaya, the Madhva Sampradaya, the um, Nimbarka Sampradaya, and the Vishnu Swami, or what became the Balapa Sampradaya. <coughs> Jiva Goswami says in his Sarva Sambadini that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu started his own Sampradaya. Hmm. And so in order to start your own sampradaya in, in these circles, then in, in, at the time, a, a bona fide lineage and so forth, you have to demonstrate that uh, what your worldview is or your theology is, uh, they were all theological worldviews at the time, um, is supported by the sacred text. You couldn't just make one up and, uh, and go from there. Uh, and be credible. So there was a body of knowledge, Prabhupada used to call it a standard of knowledge, the sacred text, the universally accepted by these religious folk, and uh, who were the 
leaders of the society at the time, really, the, the most respected people. Um, and you had to, if you're going to start your own sampradaya, well, no problem, you can do it, but you have to do your homework. You, you have to write it down and see that it's consistent and that it's supported by the standard of knowledge. So this is a huge task. Nowadays, of course, people start all types of spiritual lineages and um, they don't often do their homework or it's not expected of them by by people. Uh, if it sounds good, you know, some people will go with it, but these uh, ancient uh, Traditions were a little more time-tested and a little more uh, was expected of them by the people in general if they were to, to pass. Uh, so, um, Kaviras Goswami is, 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 is one of the persons in doing this, establishing the, the, uh, the Sampradaya. And, um, he, and he's in... In this chapter and the next chapter, to a large extent, he's speaking to a Vaishnava community. He also will speak to the Advaitin community in his text, Advaitin lineage, in different places at different times. But today's uh, verse, verse we're going to discuss today, is largely directed at a, th- at a theistic audience um, who might look at the Godis and say, where is that idea come from? Uh, there are a couple of very important ideas of the Godias that are revolutionary. Indeed, the one uh, discussed in this verse, the third verse of his Mangalacharan, is one that he himself says in the chapter that explains the verse, this is controversial. Hmm? So watch out, uh, something like that. But he tells us also at the uh, end of his explanation that because it's controversial, don't shy away from it. He feels very confident hmm, about the confidence, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, controversial issue that he's raised. He feels very confident. He says, we shouldn't shy away from this because it's controversial. In fact, please come forward. Hmm, and what you'll find is if you try to go against this, controversial idea, theological idea that I'm putting forward, what will happen is that you, you'll, you'll be converted. And if you, or if you have some doubts, uh, come forward and they'll be removed. And your position, your, your conviction about this, what I'm saying, will, will be strengthened. He, he's very confident of himself. Not proud, but confident. We should never ever think for a moment the person who said what... Huh, Mornam shune je tad papa chai, punya chai. Mornam shune je tad papa hoi. This is a, he meant it. He felt like this, Krishna discovered Rash Goswami. He said, Mornam, uh, my, my name, if that name, shune, if you hear my name, he said, hmm. Tarpunyashai, that person, he, Tarpunyashai, his, his, his uh, piety will go away. Anyone who hears my name, their piety will disappear. Such is my position. Hmm? And Mornam, ye, uh, what is it, um, hmm, Shune, whoever 
what did I say? Uh, no, Shune, who, um, Loi, Loi. Whoever speaks my name, Tar Papahoy, he will, he or she will commit impiety. So if you hear my name, you'll lose your piety. If you chant my name, you'll become impious. Hmm? He went on to say, I'm lower than a worm in the stool. Hmm? He said, this is my position. His idea was, if you take a worm... Anyway. <laughs> we can hardly say these things. It's painful to the ears to think of such a great person speaking like this of himself, but it, he sets by that the standard of humility in Gaudiya Vaishnavism that was mandated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave a decorum for his devotees. What did he say? Trinadopi sunitjena, tororopi sahishtana, amanina manadena, kirtaniya sadahari. Fourfold uh, decorum. He says, if you embrace these four things and chant the holy name, you'll attain prayer. So, sounds easy. <laughs> what are they? He said, first, you must be more humble than a blade of grass. Hmm? If you step on the grass, it doesn't complain, it just bends. Hmm? We put up so much resistance. Intolerant, he said, like a tree, it stands and endures the rain, and you can get underneath it and get a little shelter from the rain, it endures the cold, you can get close to it, you can get a little warm. And in the, in the hot, Summer days, you can get underneath it and feel shade and cool. If you, even if you go to chop it down on a hot day, it will, it will keep you shaded you know, so that you don't perspire too much. So he said that the tree stands as a symbol of tolerance. And the tolerance reaches a, even a peak, like a tall, tall redwood, that it extends into, into, into being compassionate towards others. So we should be humble like a grass, tolerant like the tree. Amanina manadena, he said. We should not seek honor for ourselves, and we should give honor to others. How to give up this propensity to want to be honored oneself is by giving honor to others. We find ways to honor others. So he said, you, you decorate yourself with these are the bushana, the ornaments then of my devotees, he said. And who, who has these ornaments, then they are fit to chant the name of Krishna in such a way that that quickly, readily, this prem, prayujan, this ideal of love of God will come. Hmm? So Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami is the uh, example of that in the statement that I cited of Chaitanya Charitamrita. Um, is often pointed to. Here is a person who actually feels this way, hmm? humble. Hmm? But in his humility, there is confidence. Hmm? So when Mahaprabhu says you should be humble and so forth, uh, he's also talking about a, a position in practice, in the world of spiritual practice that's committed, that's steady. So it implies a kind of a confidence that the two seem to be contradictory. We think, I'll be humble, I'll just be meek, I'll have no confidence, and, and so forth. No, but this is a, this is a, a different idea. Uh, humble before the Godhead is the real pos- position, our real position. 
Hmm? So when we accept a real position, our false position is that we're important, that we're big. Hmm? We're actually very small. So the more we recognize that, the more confident then we become because we come closer to ourselves. And the self is something that endures. Hmm? I should give you some confidence. <laughs> I'm an instrument, an atomic particle of enduring existence. Nothing can, I mean, nothing can, I can't, Gita says, cannot be withered by the wind, cannot be moistened by the, drowned by the water, cannot be burnt by the fire, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, Kaviraj Goswami exhibits some confidence here in this chapter, he says. Bring your arguments and, and I'll be able to satisfy you. And I think his arguments, as I'm mentioning, are very powerful in relation to his audience. They should have some power on us as well. But beyond the details of that, if we just see his spirit of his, how he's gone after this controversial point. The controversial point is that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself. And, furthermore, who is Krishna? Hmm? He speaks about Krishna in a way that others have not spoken of him. Hmm? In a way that's very uh, becoming or very flattering to Krishna. Um, so we'll go on, we'll hear the, we hear the verse and hear the discussion, but these don't sound like controversial points to you because you, you've, you've gone there to some extent. But this is a time when, when a young man hmm, appeared in Bengal hmm, and started what appeared to be a new religion by the chanting of the Holy Name in public places even, as it was not done before. Hmm? A young boy who at 24 years old took sannyas and walked the countryside of the subcontinent of India, converting huge people in the, in, on the Indian uh, uh, landscape, uh, religious, spiritual-minded people from different sects and so forth, uh, it's his his descent, isn't it, that we are are celebrating today? What did Thakur Bhakti Vinod say? Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu, Jive Doi Kori. Chaitanya Prabhu Jive Koya Kori Sapachadat Sriyadham Sohavotari Prema, Gori Bore, 
So this is the second verse in his Mongol charm. It's uh, also described by him as the Vastu Nirdesh Sloka. It means part of a Mongol charm is that the, the uh, subject will be kind of defined and explained in brief. So this is the tattva. There's a tattva aspect of the book and a bhava aspect. So tattva means like the siddhanta, the philosophical side. So uh, Vastunadesh here is describing the the key uh, to the the philosophy of Chaitanya Charitamrita. And it's very uh, analogous to the key to Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm. Um, the principal point of tattva of Srimad Bhagavatam is that Krishna is, what does Prabhupada say? Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God. It over and over and over again he says that in his books. It means Krishna's too Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? This is the um, uh, the key then to understanding the whole book. That's a big subject. But here it's a similar idea. He says he's saying the same thing. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, plus Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that Krishna. Hmm? That boy who appeared in Bengal, hmm? Nimai Pandit, who was the joy of all of Nadia, hmm? and had such knowledge that uh, any he could defeat any Pandit, who then took that knowledge and threw it aside and became an ecstatic lover of God, singing and chanting, dancing, not like a sober scholar, and from there went outside of Nadia to Puri and South India and across uh, to Banaris and Vrindavan and so forth and crisscrossing across the subcontinent everywhere he went turned people into lovers of God and uh, and uh, systematically also taught what he was about to Rupa Sanatana and Sampradaya formed and so forth so <clears throat> It's a, it gets, again, it's a revolutionary idea. The idea that Krishna is the source of Narayan, the implication of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, that was revolutionary. And then, it, you don't stop there, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this boy in Bengal, is that same Krishna, your, your neighbor, you know, another. <laughs> that's pretty strong 
uh, you got a lot to say to establish that point and convince others, hmm? uh, the religious people and so forth, who are familiar with the different avatars and so on and so forth. So he takes an interesting course here. He's written his own verse here that I've just cited, Sanskrit verse. Then he'll explain it in Bengali, and he'll bring in references of Sanskrit verses from the different texts and so forth to support his, support his points as he does throughout the Chaitanya Charitamrita. But it's a verse that's made up in many respects of two verses of Srimad Bhagavatam that are very significant. One verse is the, the these two verses I should say are the basis of the entire um, Satsandarbha of Jiva Goswami's explanation of Samanda, Samanda Gyan. We know there are three divisions of uh, knowledge. Sambandha, Abhideya, Prayojana. Sambandha means like the conceptual orientation. Abhideya means that which follows that, that what you'll do, the means, the activity that will follow that. And Prayojana means the knowledge about the fruit will be the result of that. So a conceptual orientation that gives rise to Krishna and Chaitanya Bhakti, that gives the fruit of Prayam. So in three books, treaties, uh, of his um, Satsandarbha, Sat means six. It's six extended essays in Sanskrit of Jiva Goswami that he establishes the Sambandha, the, the Abhideya, and the Prayojan based on Srimad Bhagavatam for Gaudiya Vaishnavas. And so three of the books deal with Sambandha, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, the Paramatma Sandarbha, and the Krishna Sandarbha. And, the, and they're basically huge explanations of two verses. Paramatma Sandarbha and Bhagavat Sandarbha arise out of an explanation of famous verse in Srimad Bhagavatam, Badanti tat tattubhidas tattvam yad jnanam advayam prameti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shabdite. It says that uh, learned people say that the Absolute truth is advaigyantattva, non-dual knowledge, known as Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. From this verse, two sandarbhas have come. Then Krishna sandarbha is also part of the sambandha of Satsandarbha, and that Sandarbha arises out of another important verse of Srimad Bhagavatam. One line of one verse. The whole verse is Ete Chamsa Kalapumsa. Uh, what is it? Well, this is two lines. Ete Chamsa Kalapumsa Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? It means uh, all these avatars that have just been described hmm, in the third chapter of the first canto, of all of them, they're all etechamsa kalapumsa. They're all partial manifestations, etechamsa kalapumsa, of the Godhead. But Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam. But Krishna is the origin of, of all the avatars. He's the origin of the Purusha, from whom the avatars 
are coming through and so forth. Uh, he's the origin of Narayan, the source of Narayan. Well, that's the Gaudiya, of course, translation of the verse. Um, so the, from these two verses, we have this verse. I'll read the translation. Well, I'll, we'll just go through it. Yada dvetam brahmapanishadi He says, it's very nice, it's a poetic explanation. He says, he gives here three subjects and three predicates. And in his, in his explanation, he says, first I give the subject, then I give the predicate. He says this for an important reason. Because later on, when he explains the Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam verse that's explained by other sampradayas in different ways, hmm, to miss the significance of it from the Gaudiya perspective, hmm, uh, he, he, he says, your explanation is wrong because if we explain it your way, the predicate will come before the subject. So he says, first I give the subject, then I give the predicate. The subject is a known thing, but what about the subject is what's unknown. So he says, in my verse here, there are three things, three subjects, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagawan, he says. And then there are three things about them that are the predicate. He establishes from a Kadasi Tattva that you can't say the subject without the predicate. So some rules for Sanskrit uh, grammar. I don't know if it applies to English, but it probably is pretty good sense. Uh, so um, he says, what's known is Brahman. Everybody in his circle who he's talking to knows Brahman. The Paramatma, everyone knows this. Bhagavan, everyone knows this, but what are they? How do they know them? They know them as different names for the Godhead, the Absolute. They're just synonymous. God is Brahman. God is Bhagavan. God is Paramatma. Bhagavatam says, "Vedanti tat tatvabidas." Learned people say the absolute truth is non-dual knowledge. We call it Paramatma, we call it Brahman, we call it Bhagavan. Hmm? He said, but I'm going to say something about them that's not known. So this is a Gaudiya contribution to the Vedanta world. Hmm? And he gives a very, what is a revolutionary idea. He says, yes, these are all names for God, but they're not all synonymous. So you've, missed, you've misunderstood them if you think that. If you look at Ramanuja Sampradaya, they say, this, this verse says Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagavan, they're just different names for God, that's all. You can call them Brahman, you can call them Paramatma, you can call them Bhagavan. Krishna says, well, no, you've missed something significant here. There's more to it. So my verse, I give the three subjects, they're known, and I'm going to give the three predicates. Yadadvetam Brahmapanasharitarapiyasyatunubha. He said, that which is found, talked about in the Upanishads. Yada dvetam Brahma Upanishadi, called Brahman in the Upanishads, that's characterized as being non-dual. Yada dvetam Brahma Upanishadi, tadapi asyatanubha. He says, that's somebody's bha, tanubha. <laughs> he says, that that is that is the effulgence, the bha of the tanu, of the body, hmm? of the person I'm going to, I'm here to talk to you about. 
So what, what are you talking about? No, no one see this as a revolutionary point in itself. Then he says, Atbantrayami purusho itiso shamsavibhava. That which is known as the indwelling antrayami, another name for the paramatma, the indwelling soul, the overlord, the, the, the one big soul of, of the world, the paramatma. We are all atma, there's a paramatma. That is his vibhava, uh, his partial expansion. Hmm? Sadaishvarya Purna Saiha Bhagavan Saswayam Ayam. And uh, that person is Bhagwan, full of six opulences. And he reaches the peak of Godhood in Krishna. And that Chaitanya, this person I'm talking about, Chaitanya, he is that Krishna. Who is Bhagavan, who is Paramatma, who is Brahman. Hmm? So this is, uh, we've heard this many times, so it doesn't sound very, revolu- very revolutionary perhaps. Some of you are hearing for the first time, and it's interesting, but at the time, as I say, no one had spoken about these different names for Godhead as if they were anything other than just interchangeable. Hmm? So he's exercising some fine spiritual discrimination here. What is it about? Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, then, from the Gaudiya perspective. They are something like uh, three different phases or moments, eternal moments in the life of the Absolute. The idea is something like this, that... In enjoyment would seem to require knowing and existing. In order to enjoy, you have to be and you have to know, a little bit anyway. You have to be aware <laughs> that you're enjoying. You have to be cognizant to that extent. So enjoying seems to be dependent upon being and knowing. Hmm? Whereas knowing and being aren't dependent on enjoyment, neither is being in and of itself dependent on knowing. You could be and not know. You could know and be and not enjoy. (laughs) But if you're going to enjoy, you have to know and you have to be. So, with regard to the absolute, the Upanishad, the, the sutras, by that, by that the sutra says, Ananda, my, Ananda Mayo Vyasad, he is Ananda. Hmm? So this is the this is of course then the focus of the uh, of the devotee. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami is saying, if we were, he wants to separate out these three aspects of the absolute. He says there's a being aspect, there's a knowing aspect, and there's a there's a bliss aspect, an enjoying aspect. It's not, however, that the being aspect has no knowing or no enjoying, or that the knowing aspect has no being and no enjoying, or that the enjoying aspect, as we've said, has no being and knowing. But if you were to isolate the three, if you were to take the being of the absolute in isolation, the knowing of the absolute in isolation, 
and the enjoying of the absolute in isolation, then you would refer to them by these three names. Of course, some of them will make an argument, well, that's all well and good, but how can you isolate these three things? Where do you come off with that? He wants to say this is a factual, objective uh, reality, that there are three kind of eternal moments. And if we focus on any particular one of them exclusively, we'll draw primarily either being, knowing, or uh, enjoying of the absolute. And he says, basically he says, while you may wonder how we could isolate these three, there's no need to wonder about it. Because it's spoken throughout the sacred text that there are three distinct paths leading to transcendence. Yogyan, yoga, and bhakti. Yoga includes karma, which is only spiritual as much as it becomes yoga, karma yoga. Otherwise, karma is the path of acquisition. When we acquire, but focus on being detached from the results of our acquisition, it becomes a yoga. So... Yoga, Gyan, Yoga, and Karma. So these are three paths. Hmm? They're different as much as they have much in common. There are significant differences also between the three. Hmm? And if we study the three, we find that, well, all paths don't lead to exactly the same place. Hmm? They may lead to the mountain, but then someone goes to the top, one goes over the other side into the valley, one goes halfway up, uh, something like that. So he says there are three distinct sadhanas. From, from different sadhanas, you cannot get the same result. In other words, what's a sadhana? Sadhana means a spiritual practice. What is it essentially? It's a how you... It's an attempt to, it's not an attempt in yoga to, to focus the mind. Yoga here in a generic sense, hmm? spiritual practice sense. Spiritual practice is an attempt to focus the mind, withdraw it from distractions, attachments to the senses and so forth, and purify the heart. So how, so how in practical life, whatever we contemplate, whatever we fix the mind on, then we get a corresponding result. If two people are fixing their minds on, a, on different things, they're going to get different results. Right? So as much as these paths differ, and these paths are attempts to focus the mind, let's say, they're going to get different results. Again, there's a lot that they have in common, so there's going to be common results as well. As I said, they're all paths to transcendence. Well and good. But we come now to the idea that there is variegatedness within transcendence. Oh, and why should we deny it of that? If variety is the spice of life for us here, why should we we do away with it? Hmm? Of course, we'll say that variety is the problem here. Hmm? That's the problem. Too many choices, that's true. But even besides that, just the fact that there are different choices means that there are differences. And so what may be good for you may be bad for you, me. What may make you happy may make me sad. So this gets in the way of unity. So let's do away with all the variety to have unity. Hmm? Stay there for a while and you'll say, let's do away with this unity. 
So we can have some variety. So the fact of the matter is, if we study the human condition, which is the condition of the self, of consciousness, about ready to, to leap, about ready to, to fully position to, 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 to experience itself. That's what human life is. The self, consciousness, the atma, is in a position now to, 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 to realize itself. It's kind of like on probation, out of jail. The other forms of life, it's like the self is, is in prison. It can't even think about itself. It's, it's like kind of a solitary confinement. Now we're in human life. We've got some freedoms. We've got the freedom to think. Enough rope to hang yourself. That's also there. So there are, you can go backwards, but you can go forward, especially with good help. You can go forward. You can go the distance is the idea. So if we study the human condition, we are, we are studying the condition of the self in its most manifest form. The self is manifest no more in, in the world than in human life. So there's something to anthropomorphism more than what people sometimes want to make out of it. Hmm? Uh, he's even said in other traditions that, that man and, I don't know about woman, but in that tradition, are made in the image of God. Hmm? Humans are made in the image of God. So if we study the human condition, but we're really, at its core, we're studying consciousness. We, we see that the self is pining for something. To be more, as I like to say, than what meets the eye. The sense that there's more to me. That oceanic feeling that Freud couldn't relate to, that so many of his patients had. Hmm? There's more, they would say. Hmm? Uh, so, of course, spiritual practice, Vedanta and so forth, they come to say to us, yes, we're the answer, we're the tool then to, to, to greet that, that oceanic feeling. We're the boat then to take you, to sail in that ocean of the more that you sense that you are, to find out all you, all you can be. You don't die. Hmm? Uh, there, there's all, what kind of knowing you can have. Hmm? And what kind of bliss you can have. We're here to tell you about that. You're, you're just touching, like on the shore, just touch, touching, putting your foot in the your toe in the water of conscious, consciousness. So much to be had there, so much to be experienced. So if we study that human condition, we find what? That people pine for unity. They do. And... Equally, people pine for difference. They want both. So, is there a possibility, it would seem, materially speaking, it would seem that one cancels out the other, largely. If you have diversity, then unity is compromised to some extent. You can try to make a unity out of it, and we do to some extent, but... Uh, if you go the other side, uh, like, say, in some of the communist countries, if you use this example, you know, capitalism is full of variety. <laughs> Do your own thing. You know, you can, anyone can be the president or so, whatever, entrepreneur. And then in a communist society, we have more of a unity kind of a idea. It's a crude, these are crude examples. But each one is, we find people wanting a little of the other as well. 
communists want some variety and uh, individuality, hmm? to be entrepreneurs, to start their own, to own their own property, to start their own business. And here we find there are excesses of owning, and we think that money should be shared. <laughs> Something like that. So, at any rate, there are many ways to talk about it, but the fact of the matter is that we pine both for unity and diversity at the same time. Hmm? But the two seem to, one cancels out, uh, out the other. But in the self, such contradictions uh, are, are, are resolved in the full sense of self. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, has given the doctrine, Beda Bed, Achintya, Beda Bed, oneness and difference at the same time. Hmm? So there's difference there in the Paravyom on the other side. There's variety that is the spice of life. There is variegatedness within transcendence. There may be a few, and there's only a few ways to get there. Hmm? There's not like 10,000 spiritual paths. You know, most of them are not even spiritual. They're more like self-aggrandizement uh, than they are ego-effacing, which is only the beginning then of spiritual life, to efface the conventional ego. Hmm? Let it die. Kill it. Hmm? Extinguish it, that the real self can come out. So there's a few paths like that. Yoga. Hmm? Gyan, bhakti, for example, they, they talk about um, our, our intellectual capacity, our subtle kind of material energy, hmm? and, uh, and our, our heart. Hmm? Gyan, yoga, bhakti. Hmm? There are some other traditions like Buddhism that is ego-facing, but it's left there. <laughs> You can face your ego and there's nothing left. Hmm. That's another discussion. But point here is this, that uh, the Gaudias, they, they see a, a variegatedness within transcendence. This is not a... They say that about their own tradition, about the tradition of the heart, the bhakti tradition. They say there's a gradation. There's a... There's a they say there's a gradation. That sounds like, wait, there's some people higher in transcendence and some people are lower. Hmm? But Krishna Kaviraj, in his explanation later on in, in, uh, in, in the text, he says there, there's no higher and lower because each atma, each soul finds its place there hmm? and, and is fully satisfied. So subjectively speaking, the best is whatever is best for you. Hmm? Objectively speaking, we may say one's higher than the other, but it doesn't have any bearing. Hmm? One affords more intimacy with Godhead than the other, but um, the measure of intimacy that one soul is satisfied with is, is the fullness. And all of these are necessary for the whole affair to go on. In Krishna Leela, we can say, oh, the gopis love, this is the highest, but it's not possible for that to even exist without friendship, without parental love. They're all assisting and so forth. And some people find themselves in Vatsalya, some people find themselves in Sakya, in Dasya, or Madhurya. Hmm? So, a variegated transcendence, and as the path of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is nuanced, then you'll get different results within that. We'll just speak of larger, greater nuances between 
bhakti in general, you can get nuances within the prayojan of Gaudiya Vaishnava, within, as I'm saying, within Vrindavan, you can be the friend of Krishna, the lover of Krishna, like a parent of Krishna. Hmm? Then within bhakti, you could go to Vaikuntha and be the Om, servant of Narayan, Om Narayan. Hmm? And if we take it further to, to a different path, where there might be some bhakti in yoga, or even less, but some in jnana, then you're going to get different results. Hmm? But the results are transcendental, but they'll be different. You decide which one you're after. Hmm? Krishna's Kavijas Raj just wants to lay it out. He's clear what his preference is. Hmm? And what he, what he wants to say about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he would like to make available to us the idea that, that this is, you have some choices to make. Hmm? So he says, the idea that these three mo- eternal moments in the Absolute could be isolated from one another, which seems like kind of hard, he said, is possible, and it's obvious, because there are three different principal paths. And if we study them, we see they focus on these three different aspects. Hmm? So there's, he wants to say there's an objective reality to Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagawan. And then he supports it by saying, well, if you don't look at that point of view, take a postmodern point of view on it. Hmm? It's the subjective reality, then, of different paths. Hmm? Some see him as Brahman. Some see him as Paramatma. Some see him as Bhagwan. Hmm? Now let us go to the paths and we take, take a look. We can see. You take Gyan. Gyan is, as Krishna Kavi Raj Goswami said, here, or alludes to the fact that, oh, it's very much preoccupied with, with regard to the sacred text, with the Upanishads. Hmm? He says, Jadadvetam Brahma Upanishadi. Hmm? So the implication of that here is that the Jnanis, they like these Upanishads, and they mostly seem to talk about the Absolute as being without variegatedness. Here, Advaita means without variegatedness. They like to do away with the variegatedness to this measure, that they don't like to think or of, of themselves as different from Brahman. Not enough difference to, to bow down, or, uh, but they, they uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way, uh, they, but they, they, they seek identity. Hmm? They seek to, if you will, exist along with Brahman. To the extent that God exists, they seek to exist. Some will say, well, wait a minute, these Advaitans, uh, or let's not call them Advaitans, but yeah, well, uh, uh, call them Ghanis. These Ghanis, they, they want um, some kind of a unity. Their, their emphasis is on unity, not on diversity. Hmm? Strong emphasis on unity, not on diversity. They want to do, and strong emphasis on doing away with the diversity that's a problem in material life. Diversity that arises from the mind and the senses, which makes you think it's hot and me think it's cold, and you want to turn up the heater and I want to turn it down, and so we're at war with another. They want to do away with that. There is a strong focus on that. Hmm? And look beneath that perception 
arising from the mind and senses to the underlying common ground that we have as units of consciousness. Let's go there. It's still there. It's peaceful there. Hmm? We want to be. But some will say, well, wait a minute, the Advaitins, they want to be blissful too. They want to know. Well, as I said, this moment of the Absolute, we call Brahman, is not without bliss, it's not without knowing, but what is the measure of the bliss? What is the measure of the knowing? And we have to compare that to other paths. How much are they concerned with the bliss? The primary concern is doing away with the sorrow, doing away with the misery. And I have to say, there's a lot of bliss in that. <laughs> Anyone who's suffered knows. And if you, have, if you don't think you're suffering, look around, because wherever you see suffering, you were there once too. Hmm? You've been there. Hmm? To have come to a human form of life, you've been through the suffering of other forms of life. Hmm? And the suffering of other people, we should see that's part of the human condition. On some level, hmm? we're all having our earthquake. Right? So... It's great, the measure of the suffering in material existence. It's huge. It's, we constantly deal with it. We're trying to overcome it. Constantly. And it looks, it's so bad, it looks as if we may not exist if we don't watch out. In other words, the suffering could reach the point of termination of myself. I want to be. And I realize in the Gyan Mark that to be, this variety is, 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 is a problem. In the pursuit of variety, my being is threatened even. It's, it's, it's full of misery and my being is threatened. So I want to be. And there's a lot of joy in knowing that you be. <laughs> <laughs> knowing the extent to which you exist. This is the extent of the knowing that they're concerned with. I want to know the extent to which I exist. There's, there's, a, there's this thing that remains, and I'm of it. I'm of that nature. It exists always. It always endures. Whatever comes and goes, it doesn't change. I'm of that nature. I want to go there, and I want to be that. So there's more to be said about the path of Gyan, but basically speaking, as you can see, it's identified primarily with being. Hmm? And God be. He bees. He, he, <laughs> uh, they want to, they want to, in fact, Ghanis want to move away from becoming, isn't it? To being. This is kind of popular. To stop becoming and be. As we'll see, this is a very different idea from bhakti. Hmm? Very different idea. Being is included there, but... There's an internal becoming as well. So they're not, they're not acquainted with that, or they're not interested in that side of it. They haven't thought of it like that. Kaviraj Goswami wants to give them, the Ghanis, something to think about. <laughs> this is his challenge here. These are big, learned people. Here come the Godias. They say, our friend Nimai Pandit, he's God from Bengal, Chaitanya. These Ghanis go, huh, yeah. Where, where do you get that? You know, there's all kind of sentiment out there. People think all kind of things in this world. You know, mm. reality is Brahman. You are Brahman. Mm. 
I am Brahman. So, and they're well versed in the scriptures and so forth. The Kaviraj Goswami, he says, like this, you can imagine, just his confidence is like the confidence of, I've given an example before, when I was a young boy, we lived in a neighborhood in Illinois that was very sparsely populated. And, um, and so we, you know, in those days, well, for things to do, we used to go to a pond and we would ice skate on the pond. My brother and I, my older brother and I, we were pretty much the same age. And so there would be, you know, there's four or five other guys in the, in the, in the community. They were older than us and they would do what's, you know, now in the news, bullying, right? So they would like really give us a hard time. It was pretty bad. So then one night, I remember, we went out skating and my father came along to skate with us. And so then we would just skate up right in front of them like this, you know. <laughs> so we had a confidence. We, our confidence was because we have somebody else with us here and you're not going to mess with us tonight. So, then, so this is the kind of confidence of Krishna's Kaviraj. He knows I've got Bhagavan Sri Krishna on my side in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I have absolutely no doubts about it, <laughs> who he is. Indeed, you, you people, you Gyanis, are interested only in his effulgence. Hmm? And you yogis, we'll talk about them later, what, what you're interested in. Hmm? Hmm? So he... And the Ghanis are, of course, kind of knowledge, you know, can bring a kind of pride. If people have a lot of knowledge and they're a little pride, proud, you don't fault them too much. Hmm? Of course, from a Godi perspective, that should be crushed. <laughs> but still, you know, if people know something, then, you know, they know something. Hmm? Godi Vaishnavism, the standard humility is that you, you, you actually know something. <laughs> And still you're humble because you know what I know. Krishna does this, what I know here is all grace, how this has come to me. Hmm? It's not that I've fought it out and conquered over and so forth. Hmm? This is something, speaks something about the, uh, the difference also between the Gyan Marg and the Bhakti Marg. Bhakti Marg is all grace. Gyan Marg is a lot of fighting it out, vivek, to, to, to discriminate and Think deeply and take the aphorism from the from the from the Upanishads and think mananam. Hmm? Think about it, contemplate it. What's the significance and how to accomplish some of the same things that we in Kamotagani seek to accomplish in the Bhakti Marg is accomplished very differently in the Gyan Marg than in the Bhakti Marg. In Bhakti Marg, it's accomplished by grace. Hmm? In the Gyan Marg, it's very much fought out. What does Krishna say in Gita? He said, this path is very troublesome. Hmm? Gyan Marg, oh, it's very troublesome. You want to fix your mind on something that is so abstract, you have no words for it, or you, all you could say is it's not this and it's not that. And now you have to fix your mind on that. It's very, he says, troublesome. Hard fought. Hmm? And not always successful. Hmm? Bhakti, he says, on the other hand, that's a different thing. Hmm? He tells Arjun. Arjun wanted to know which is better as a path. He said, oh, bhakti is so much easier. Hmm? Easier and better. Hmm? So Gyanmarg is largely about the being moment of the Absolute. Then we go to Yogamarg. Hmm? He says that 
the yoga mark, well, well, yoga mark, what is it about? Yoga mark is, of course, now yoga is very popular, so there are many editions of that, this kind of yoga, that kind of yoga, and so forth. We have to understand, of course, that Krishna's Kaviraj is dealing with a different time when entrepreneurism and yoga have not had not met yet. Capitalism and yoga had not <laughs> had a, <laughs> made a deal yet. So uh, he's uh, he's really speaking about the yoga of, of of yoga sutras. There was yoga before the yoga sutras as well. There's yoga in the Bhagavad Gita and so on, and, um, which predates the sutras. But here he's talking about the yoga. Hmm? largely of Patanjali's sutras that does have a strong correspondence with the yoga of the Gita in the sixth chapter, Ashtanga Yoga, hmm? as a path. Hmm? He says this path is largely about about knowing, hmm? more than it includes being, but it's, it's about it's about uh, knowing. It's about knowing. And there's some, here we start to find some differentiation from the non-dual, no difference in jnana that's sought after in yoga. There's an acknowledged difference. For example, in the sutras, we find that the, 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 um, the sutra, what is it? 1.24? That uh, maybe the first place it's mentioned. What is that? Ishwar. Pranidhan. This is a huge thing in Yoga Sutra, actually, huge. It's mentioned in four places. Ishwar, Ish means the verb superiority, control. So it's a reference to God. I was reading the other day, somebody in the contemporary yoga world said, well, this Ishwar Pranidhan, it talks about surrender to to, a, to a something that's you can't describe or really say much about. And, uh, you know, in old times I talked about it as if it was God, but we can get beyond that, and uh, so on and so forth. This is a very um, uh, objectionable uh, attempt to contemporize the, the, the significance of the of the sutra. No. Uh, after he mentions Ishwara Pranidhan, he goes on in four or five sutras to explain the nature of the Ishwar. Hmm? Of course, in Yoga Sutras, he's not talking about Ishwar. He's talking about yoga. He's talking about Chitta Vritti Nirodha, the goal of yoga, to flatten out the mind, so to speak, the ocean of the mind. So the waves, the Vrittis, resulting from attachment to different objects, that are t- causing me to toss and turn and not be steady. I can't sit hmm? in that condition. I can't enter into samadhi in that condition. To end that, chitta-vritti-nirodha. Hmm? Hmm? So he's talking about, this is what he's talking about in the Yoga Sutra. So he's not talking extensively about Ishvara, but the Yoga Sutras have a context in which they appear. It's not isolated. I mean, Patanjali is was a disciple of Vyas. Vyas wrote a commentary on his, on Patanjali's sutras. Hmm? Vyas has spoken extensively about Ishwar in the Gita, in the Bhagavatam, in the Puranas, and so forth. Yeah? 
Also, there are others. There's texts like Sri uh, Teshvara Upanishad speaking about Ishvara in terms of Shiva. In the Puranas, we find largely Vishnu or the Gita, Vishnu in the Bhagavat, Vishnu, the Ishvara. From a Gaudiya perspective, it's both Vishnu and it's both Shiva. This is the beauty of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. There's no Shaivite, Vaishnavite conflict in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. In other forms of Vaishnavism, there's a huge conflict with the Shaivites. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't have that kind of conflict. Some, some Vaishnavas won't go in any Shiva temple. Hmm? They argue, Shiva is supreme. No, Vishnu is supreme. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't have a problem like that. And if you study Gaudiya theology, you find, oh, nothing says more, complements Shiva, no, no, no sect more than Gaudiya Vaishnavanam Vaishnavanam that's a huge compliment from Bhagavatam. Shiva is the best of the Vaishnavas. And what position they, they, they give him, if he would hear that, he'd think, oh, they've really understood me over there. And he has something to do with the creation. Shambhu. Hmm? The very, we have identified Shiva w- with this um, uh, Vishnu, what is the name? Um, Mahavishnu, but Mahasankarshan, Mahasankarshan, Maha, Namah, Maha, what did you say? Sadashiva, Sadashiva. So if you you can blur the the, 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 the the distinction between Vishnu and Shiva becomes very much blurred. We have in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Advaita Charya. <laughs> he is a, he is. A, is 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 like some combination of Shiva and Vishnu, and he brought Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to the world. So, so I, there's there's not this kind of same conflict that you find. So whether you say, I say that Panchanjali is Ishwara Shiva, no, I say he's Vishnu. We don't have that kind of argument. If we look, however, at the descriptions of the Ishwar, he goes on to describe six things about this Ishwar. This Ishwar is. Free from karma. Hmm? This Ishwar is the has the fullness of uh, omnipotence. Uh, this this um, Ishwar is the ancient teacher of all teachers. Hmm? Uh, this Ishwar is beyond time. Hmm? This Ishwar's name is Om. Hmm? And worshipping Pranidhan, doing surrendering to this Ishwar, gives samadhi. Hmm? All these descriptions of Ishwar are found in Gita. Hmm? Who is the Ishwar in the Gita? Then, well, when these things are mentioned by Krishna, who's the Param Ishwar, he's speaking about Vishnu. Hmm? This is the soul, overlord of the world. Hmm? This is an aspect of Krishna, Bhagavan Sri Krishna, the aspect through which he attends to the world, in whom the potential of jivas, the one becoming many, exists, in whom the, wor- the, 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 the uh, world of matter, maya shakti, exists. The world is a combination of these two. So... <clears throat> Potentially, as they doesn't go into detail about it, he says a few things, and if we look at what he says, we see it very much corresponds with um, Vishnu. And and he says about Ishwar Pranidhan, this is so like uh, 
really takes a very prominent position in the sutras. He says, yeah, there may be other ways. He says, you could fix your mind on anything. He says, but only if you fix your mind on Ishwar will you get samadhi. People say, oh, you could fix your mind on anything. A candle, a rose, uh, a star, just fix your mind. This is the goal. But Tundali agrees. He says, you can fix your mind on anything. That's true, and that can be help you in yoga. But only if you fix your mind on Ishwar will you get samadhi. It's Ishwar pranidhan, that's what it means. That gives samadhi. Hmm? This is, he mentions Ishwar pranidhan as one of the yamas of yoga. No, yama niyama? Hmm? I think it's the fifth or sixth yama. Ishwar pranidhan. Hmm? By which one gets samadhi. Hmm? So it takes a prominent position. We find surrender to Ishwar. There's some bhakti, in the, and as I say, there's some difference there. There's somebody to surrender to. He, he isn't saying that, very carefully you study, he's not saying Ishwar is a perfected yogi. Hmm? Like in Gyan, you might think, you become perfected, you become so much like Brahman, you might as well say you're Brahman. There's just, you don't distinguish between yourself and Brahman. But in yoga, there's a clear distinction between the Ishwar and the yogi, hmm? even the perfected yogi. So, classically speaking, then, this yoga is distinct from the Gyan Marg, and one of the distinctions is that there's a differentiation that starts to come into play hmm? between ourselves and God. I said that the Absolute has some, there's variegatedness in transcendence. Hmm? So, being is there, and knowing is there, and there's a knowing of difference. Hmm? If there's no difference, there's not a lot of knowing. There's nothing to know. <laughs> There's only being. What's there to know? There's only Brahman. I'm so much identified with Brahman, I feel like I practically am Brahman. Hmm? I don't distinguish between myself and Brahman. What's to know? Therefore, in Gyanamarg it's said, the knower, the known, and knowing are all dissolved. Hmm? And being so there's some knowing in that. There's a knowing I don't die. There's some bliss in that. There's a knowing there's no more suffering. But in yoga now, there's more knowing. There's a subject and there's an object in a sense. Ishwar is the subject and we're the object in comparison. Of course, we're an animate object. We're, <laughs> we're, we're a live object, but... Uh, there's Ishwar Pranidhan, there's surrender, and it brings samadhi. So if we study this carefully, we can easily come to the conclusion that Ishwar of Yoga, in the classic sense, this is the Paramatma, the oversoul of the world. This Paramatma, Vishnu, is said to be situated in the heart, it's the object of meditation. If we go to the Gita, in the sixth chapter where Stanga Yoga is explained, then we find this idea. Meditate on the Lord in the heart and, uh, under these conditions and so on and so forth. So this is the path of the yogis. Where does it culminate, this yoga? Well, well let's go to a contemporary figure in the yoga world. Hmm? Two of the most prominent teachers in yoga are Iyengar and Patabi Joyce, who passed away a couple of years ago, right? I think they are both disciples of the same guru, isn't it? 
Krishna Namacharya. Hmm? And uh, Ingar was this, even his, his maybe son-in-law. Hmm? Krishna Namacharya. Coming from the Ramanuja Sampradaya, it's a, it's a, it's a, a bhakti lineage. Hmm? Krishna Namacharya said what? The goal of yoga is Baikuntam. Isn't it? What did he say? To attain Baikuntha. Hmm? So that means what? That this Paramatma, this Oversoul, this Super Soul, hmm? this is a, the 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 uh, a a partial manifestation of Bhagwan, a part of the personality of the God that's indistinguishable in Brahman, hmm? is now coming into focus in the context of yoga. He knows everything. That's the idea. That's why he's described as. He's everywhere. He's in every atom, hmm? in every atma. Hmm? He's, he's in every atom, and in every atma, which is smaller than the smallest of smallest atoms, times you know ten thousand or whatever. Hmm? And and the whole world comes out of him. Well, he's got it on both ends. He's smaller than the smallest. He's bigger than the biggest. He's the source of the uh, of the um, of the world in a practical sense. Brahman is talked about in the Sutras of Vyasa from which the world comes. But if we look carefully at that, we see he's speaking about Ishwar. Hmm? Source of the world. Hmm? The oversoul. The witness. Hmm? So the yogi wants to meet him. Hmm? Make some union in samadhi. Hmm? Samadhi. Hmm? With uh, Ishwar. And there's a place in Vaikuntham for this. There are those who are eternally meditating, doing Ishwar Pranidhan in Vaikuntham. Hmm? You see, there's more bhakti factored in here than in Gyanmarg. Hmm? For Gyan to be successful, we say there needs to be a little bhakti. Hmm? In yoga, there's more bhakti. Even Krishna has spoken the whole chapter about it. And in the end, he stresses what? But bhakti, that's really the essence of yoga. So let's go to bhakti. Then he's into the middle section of the Gita, all about bhakti. And the object of bhakti is Bhagwan. Hmm? We are not interested in the Paramatma. No, not in our group. Hmm? <laughs> not in Gaudiya lineage. We're not interested in this Paramatma conception or, or to speak of the Brahman conception. Hmm? Krishna Kaviraja said, to Brahman is a known subject. The predicate that I'm giving it is the unknown. The unknown is that's the rays, the effulgence, the aura of Bhagwan, the aura of Chaitanya. He'll go on to support that later on. That's a, that's a powerful statement. And this this Paramatma, this is the partial manifestation only of Bhagavan. Overseeing the world. Hmm? When the world, he, he's an expansion of the Lord of Vaikuntha, so he has his place in Vaikuntha, hmm, in a sense. And for those who seek him alone, they're meditating him on the outskirts of Vaikuntha, sitting in meditation. There are others in Vaikuntha who are serving Narayan in Dasya Bhakti and so forth. Hmm? But yoga doesn't uh, in itself culminate in that. Not enough bhakti there. Hmm? And for the devotee, 
then there's another path. Bhakti, then it's clear. The objective, the, 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 the sadhya, the, 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 the object of their is not Brahman or Paramatma, but Bhagwan. Hmm? This becomes especially clear in Gaudiya Vaishnavas, and this is, of course, what Krishna's Kaviraj is talking about. He wants to say that that Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaneti, Shabdite, Badanti Tat Tatvidas, Yad. Advaigyan Tattva. The there is something called Advaigyan Tattva, and that's Krishna. And he appears as Bhagawan, Narayan, Paramatma, and Brahman. And he is Bhagawan too, but he's Swayam Bhagawan. He's the source of all forms of Bhagawan. They correspond with all forms of Bhakti. They are Bhaktas of Ram, Bhaktas of, Bhaktas of Narasimha. Hmm? For example, the different avatars. So, Bhagavan responds to the hearts of those different devotees hmm? in different forms. His form corresponds with their bhakti. Hmm? And bhakti, a special kind of bhakti, brings us in touch with the form called Krishna, which is the whole Advaigyan Tattva, this uh, in your hands, so to speak, at your disposal almost. That's a very extraordinary idea of the power of bhakti. Hmm? So, we go from jnana and focus on being to yoga and the focus on <coughs> being and knowing hmm? and to bhakti with the focus on enjoying. And there's enjoying requires being and knowing, but if we Go to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the extreme of bhakti, we find that being and knowing start to become obscured. Hmm? In Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan, what do we find? We find he, ha- he is in an existential crisis, as I've said. So his being is in question. Hmm? What is it in question to? In relation to bhakti. His being is, I am a supreme enjoyer. When he sees Radha's love, he thinks, she knows more about love than me. Am I the supreme being? Enjoy- enjoying means ananda, means, means love. Hmm? Here, difference is increased even more. Isn't it? There's a unity in love, but there's a difference too. There's reciprocal dealing. The measure, the degree, the extent to which there's are, are reciprocal dealings in love you know, that's what it's all about. If you just sit there and he never talks to you, you know, you think, hey, man, I better move on, you know. I got this guy to, you know, be emotional support. That's a joke. Hmm? <laughs> Don't keep looking for that, ladies. <laughs> it's not out there. Krishna will support you. That's a fact. He'll give you emotional support. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, uh, anyway, the extent to which the, the, the reciprocal dealings, hmm? and then the love is, is, is measured, so to speak, on a, on a ladder of love. So, uh, yeah, this, uh, when we come to Krishna Bhakti, then we, we, we see this the measure of uh, reciprocal dealing, the possibility of intimacy with Bhagavan is so great. Hmm? And so the ananda is great, the love is great, it means. And where the love is great, then the bliss, the enjoyment is great. And then being, 
starts to become obscured and knowing is obscured. It's there. Krishna knows everything and he's all that be. But by the power of the Ananda, hmm, in the Ladini Shakti personified in Radha, that Bhakti is constituted of, his being and knowing come into question. Hmm? So you choose. I mean, when we say in Gyan, on the other end of the spectrum, there's not a lot of bliss and there's not a lot of knowing, comparison. But we're saying on the other side, well, in Bhakti, there's not a lot of being or knowing. <laughs> so we were fair. But you take your choice. What do you want to mostly be or mostly enjoy? The more you enjoy, think about it. The less you know. Ignorance is bliss. Hmm? It's a fact. When you really enjoy, you, you become, you know, intoxicated. You turn the lights out. You know. <laughs> and, and, and you enjoy in relation to another. So your own being is kind of in question. You thought you knew yourself until you met her. And she said, you're not like that. You're like this. Hmm? She kind of set you straight, you know, gave you some confidence in yourself, but brought you down to size at the same time. So, you're, so in love, our be, it works the other way around too. Uh, in love, our being kind of comes into question, and our knowing is, uh, you know, it comes into question to some extent. Ananda predominates. So in, in Bhagavan, Ananda predominates. Because why? Because Bhagavan corresponds with Bhakti. Hmm? And Bhakti is Ladini Shakti. And Ladini Shakti is Ananda to the extreme. Hmm? Extreme Ananda. Hmm? So when we, when we contact Krishna uh, uh, or, ba- or Bhagavan through Bhakti, hmm, then this Ananda becomes a focus. Hmm? And when we go to Krishna Bhakti, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam, the source of, of Narayan. Oh, hmm? then to such an extreme. So he says there are different paths, so there are different moments to the absolute. There's the being moment, there's the knowing moment, and there's the Ananda moment. You choose which moment you want. Hmm? There's not much to think about there. <laughs> Stop thinking now, we know. Hmm? So this is what, how he's arguing. He says, you should become a bhakta. Hmm? You should become a devotee. It's a very nice argument, hmm? he says. And, 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 and you should become a devotee of Narayan, but more so of Krishna. Then he wants to make his argument. Narayan is well known by the Ramanujas and, and other sampradayas, Madhva, Vaishnava sampradayas of the time, lineages, as being the Godhead, the Supreme Person, Krishna is thought of as his avatar, avatar, like, you know, he comes for, shows this side of himself, playful sometimes. Hmm? But he says, no, 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 you got that wrong. Your, look, your, your angle of vision is okay. You can look at him like that. You could say that. He says, that's all right. If you want to think of him like that's all right, but that's not the whole picture. The whole picture is just opposite. Narayan is a partial manifestation of Krishna. Hmm? This is very, uh, welcome, very revolutionary kind of a statement hmm? in the times. So then he goes on to quote from Bhagavatam. He quotes the 14th chapter, the 10th canto of Bhagavatam, 30th verse, Brahma speaking to, 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 to Krishna, saying, you're Narayan. In fact, you're the source of Narayan. Narayan Angam. Narayan is your Angam. You're the Angi. 
Anga means limb. Angi means body. You're the body. Narayan is your arm. Hmm? Your limb. Krishna says, oh, come on. I'm just a coward. He says, no. Yes, but that's different. There's more to it than that. You're the source of Narayan. Let me tell you why. Hmm? He gives us different proofs. This context of this is Brahma had just seen Krishna expand from himself innumerable Narayans from whom innumerable universes came. The mystic vision, the whole story covers three chapters of Srimad Bhagavatam, very tenth canto, very beautiful, very charming. Krishna's with his friends and Brahma comes and plays some mischief and he finds out, oh, what is the position of Krishna? So he said, he, based on his vision, which was shown to him, he says, I'm establishing this. So this is a, uh, you are the source of Narayan. He cites this, this section of Bhagavatam. In the narrative of the Bhagavatam, it is established, he says. And then let's go to the verses of Bhagavatam. And, and then he goes to Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, this verse I cited earlier, that's partly where Krishnadas has taken his verse from. Then he analyzes that verse. And he goes back to his argument that he gave about this verse. First I state the subject, then I state the predicate. The subject is known, but the predicate is unknown. I'm talking about the predicate here. What's unknown about Brahman is that he's different from Paramatma, different from Bhagavan. How is he different? He's the effulgence of Bhagavan. How is Paramatma different? He's the partial manifestation of Bhagavan that goes into the heart and the atom and so forth. And Bhagavan is the source of all of them. That's the unknown that he's explaining. Hmm? And, that, and now he's going to, to, to look more deeply at the Bhagavan feature, and he says that Bhagavan Narayan is actually has a source, which is Krishna, the playful Krishna. Hmm? It's demonstrated in the narrative of Bhagavatam, and it's demonstrated in the philosophy, too, in the, in, in the description of the avatars directly by uh, uh, Sutta Goswami. Hmm? He says, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Sayam. And here, the subject comes, Krishna, followed by the predicate, Bhagavan Svayam. Hmm? Everybody knows Krishna, that's a known. But who he is was not given. There's a description of so many avatars in this section. The, the avatar is mentioned, then what he will do is mentioned. Krishna is also mentioned, but what he, the specifics about him are not mentioned. Hmm? After listing all the avatars, then he says, all these avatars, they all come from the Purusha, but to Krishna's Bhagavan Swaya. But Krishna, who was mentioned earlier, here's the predicate about him. He's the source of Narayan. He said, if the if this truth of the verse was that Krishna is the source, Narayan is the source of Krishna, he said, then you would have to have said it the other way. Hmm? Put the predicate for uh, the subject. Anyway, so this, he, it's a long argument that he makes there, but... And it, again, it's relative to people who know these verses and thought about it differently and had a whole lineage based on a different understanding of these verses. Hmm? So he's making very powerful points at the time in the religious milieu of the time, huge, powerful, and revolutionary points, which, after all, you're starting, starting a new sampradaya here. And you've got to have your, you know, your facts, <laughs> Uh, so they weren't so light just to say, oh, there's another new group on the block, you know, another way to think about God, okay, <laughs> like in today's society. No. Mm-hmm. So he gives such argument, and then, he, then, he, then of course, he, he gives examples mm-hmm. from Scripture as to how the, the, 
the, the, the Brahman is the Yasya Prabha, Prabhupato Jagananda Koti Koti Spasesu Basudadi Vibhuti Bindam, Tad Brahman is Kalamananta Masesu Bhuttam, Govindam Adi Purusham Tamam Majami. This verse describes the Baha, Yasya Prabha of, of, of the God is his effulgence. Brahmanohi Pratishtaham. Krishna says in the Gita, what? That Brahman, I'm its support. Hmm? And so on. He gives verses to, and then with regard to the Antaryami, the Purusha, the Paramatma, and so forth. He gives some verses. He makes a good argument. Hmm? I've given the logic. We've cited some of the verses. And at the end, again, he comes back and says, so this is controversial. I realize that, but don't shy away from it. Come forward. Bring your arguments, he's saying. Bring them. He has some confidence. Hmm? He says, I'm saying to you that not the, that what? Not only is Krishna the source of Narayan, but our God Chaitanya is Krishna. Mm-hmm. Now come, bring your arguments. He's prepared, he says. And what will happen is they, they will they will disappear. He was fully confident that in the context of his circumstance and the environment that he was in, that anybody could come forward, he could represent this, this position. And Gaudiya Vaishnavas became established as a lineage hmm? centered around the descent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? In the next chapter, we don't have time to go into of course, he'll go into more depth than how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was that same Krishna. Hmm? Krishna's too? Bhagavan Sayam.